a few weeks ago, I was giving a lesson about the character that we need to have as Christians. And we looked at the text, and in fact, we use this very text here in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, from that standpoint. We're looking at it from a standpoint that when, when we see Jesus Christ mentioned in the book of Hebrews, it says in verse 3 that He is the radiance of His glory, the exact expression of His nature. Literally, he's the exact character of God's nature. That's what the Hebrew writer is saying. An amazing statement. And so that, that's where we get our word character today, and that's what we're talking about, the character of God that we see in Jesus Christ. And if we're looking at this statement and try to understand what God is like, if we can picture our God as given in Scripture, then we need look no further than our Savior. Then when we read the Scriptures and read of His life, all the things that He'd done, the, the very motivation behind what He was doing, we get to see the characteristics of God. And in one sense, we get to see God. And so, what we need to do this morning is to look at the express image of God, to look at Jesus Christ, and then, it doesn't do us any good if we don't compare the way we're living with Him, the very standard of God, the very nature of God. And if we're starting to compare ourselves, well, I know from the onset, most of us here, probably all of us would say, well, then I'm lost. There's no way I can compare to Jesus Christ. He's the Savior of the world. He was without sin. And that's the point that God wants us to, to understand. You see, before I was a Christian... The way I was raised was, you know, if you're a good moral person, you go to heaven. And when I look at that as a standard, I thought, I'm doing pretty good. I never stole from anyone. And I remember giving this sermon in Griffin uh, during the gospel meeting last week. And, and, and I was, someone was asking me, Mitch, what happened when, you know, you obeyed the gospel? What's your story about that? Because I'd heard some things about it. So I was giving that story and Julie said, well, you got to talk about this and that and everything. And. One thing led to another, and I was mentioning how, you know, I never stole. She said, never? And then she started interrogating me. <laughs> I said, I took quarters from my mom <laughs> so I could play arcade games. So I confessed my sins to her and, and what have you. But I was looking at it from, from a, just overall. I never stole from the store. In fact, I kept my friend from stealing. I just knew that was wrong. Knew I'd get scolded and probably punished if I'd been ever caught. It's that mindset that I grew up with that said, you know, Mitch, you're a good person. You do good things. You help others. You know, you're caring about other people's lives. But when I stopped comparing myself to what other people were doing, and then when I saw this Bible for the first time and, and realized that my standard was based upon it, I became undone. And every one of us that happens to, when we open up God's Word and look at what the Scriptures teach. This morning in our Bible class, we were kind of comparing Calvinism with what I believe the Scriptures reveal concerning us. But notice what is being said in, in the 100 and, uh, or excuse me, the 14th Psalm. Look at what it says there because it has, it plays a part in what we were talking about this morning. The fool says in his heart, God does not exist. They are corrupt. Their actions are revolting. There is one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the human race to see if there is one who is wise, one who seeks God. 
all have turned away. All alike have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, no, not even one. When evildoers, uh, will ever, evildoers never understand, they consume my people as they consume bread. They do not call on the Lord. That's a picture of what mankind is like. Some would say, but Mitch, you know, we could read of Noah, that he found grace or favor in the eyes of God, that he was good, he was righteous. He is, compared to the world. But would you say Noah was perfect? Because it does say he was perfect in his generation. Well, if he was perfect from a standpoint of having never sinned, he would not need a Savior. Nor could it be said that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we know that even Noah, as great as he was, a man of faith, and what a great example to us, a man living by faith. But it wasn't perfect. We all seek to do evil. In fact, that's what Genesis 5 and 6 deal with as far as mankind is as a whole, and even specific to each individual. Well, also in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, when you read the text here and read of what man is likened unto, we get to see very clearly he's not perfect. Look at what it says here. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 says, There is certainly no righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. So if that's the case, When we look at God's word and and look at our lives and are honest with the way we live, we know we're guilty of sin. But sometimes we don't want to dwell on it from the standpoint to, to see just how sinful we are. We can talk about how wonderful we are toward each other. You can say all the wonderful things you want to say about Mitch Davis, but you don't know all my sins, nor do I know yours. Not unless we have enough of a relationship that I get to see your sins and you see mine. But the scriptures make it clear we all fall short. And this morning, in fact, when Jimmy was making a statement in in our Bible class, how the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, you read verses 14 following, talking about how the law is spiritual and that we recognize the law. Those of us who love God and recognize that we're under the authority by the covenant that we are bound to, Know that, you know what, we love God's word, we love his will, we want to abide in it, we want to abide according to it, but we fail at it. So we recognize that the law is spiritual and that it is good, and when I want to do that which is good, there are times when I fail at it, and there are things that I look at that is heinous, as sinful, and been guilty of it. That's what Paul is saying, whether he's speaking of himself, Or of man in general, it does not matter to me, because the truth is there. How many of us recognize that truth, though? That's the kick. How many of us recognize that we want to do God's will, but sometimes we fail at it? You know, in our prayers, we talk about the sins of commission and omission. That's what Romans 7 is dealing with. We're guilty of it. When you look at the very last verses... In Romans chapter 7, this is the crux of where we stand when we compare ourselves to God's wonderful standard. Or if we were to look at the life of Jesus Christ and compare our lives to him. Romans chapter 7 says here in in verse 24. He says, what a wretched man I am. Knowing that I want to do good, but I fail at it. 
when I hate sin, but then I commit it, the very thing? Woe is me. Let me give you an illustration. How many of you hate lies and liars? I mean, cannot stand them. Y'all hate liars? Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> Our elders are being raised their hands. I hate them too. All right, I'm going to pick on our elders since they were gutsy enough to raise their hands. You guys guilty of lying? Isn't that awful? You hate lies and guilty of it yourself. That's who we are. You see, and here's an individual that understood his lot in life. Without Jesus, without his blood, we're wretched. We're miserable. We're completely undone and lost. That's the fact of who we are without the blood of Jesus. Fortunately for us, we get to have the scripture that goes on right from there and says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. So then with my mind on myself, I'm a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and those who walk according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. That's what he goes on to say. But if we're going to have this vision of God, then we're going to have to look at Jesus Christ. And when we look at his life and see everything in his life, we fall short of that. The very same Lord who told us in Scripture. If you want to be perfect. You have to be like your heavenly father. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter seven, or excuse me, Matthew chapter six, the last verses. Excuse me, in chapter 7, the last verse, 47, 48. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And here we have Scripture telling us none of us can be perfect. Not on our own accord. And so, for this reason, I believe this is why God gave us His Son. Not just as a quote-unquote scheme of redemption that we get to be saved from our sins and we get to look at Jesus as the sacrifice but that we get to see what it's like to be a son of God. That's amazing to me. You stop and consider, it's more than the fact that Jesus came into this world, died on the cross for our sins. He came into this world to show us who God is. And as the express image of God, the express character of God, He showed us how we can be like Him. That's where the rubber meets the road. We can see what perfect law keeping was like. First John, we can read of all what he has done for us. And in the same manner, when John introduces us to the word of God, John chapter one, verse 17, grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. That's what we see in John's writings. We see perfection in Jesus He's perfect at law-keeping. More so, he was perfect in the motivation behind law-keeping. Sometimes, you know what we are like? We're like, well, you know what? I never did anything wrong. We tell this to our sons and our daughters all the time. When we hear the phrase, I didn't mean to be ugly. I didn't mean to hit. (laughs) I didn't mean to. And whatever the negative ending of that statement is, we ask, what did you mean then? Did you mean to be loving? Did you mean to bless? The same thing when, when we're at keeping the law. Well, I, 
I get, I went to church all the time. And I gave to the Lord. And I, what's the motivation behind it? You see, 1 John chapter 5 verses 2 and 3 tells us that when we love God, we keep His commandments and that His commandments are not burdensome. There's an attitude behind our service to the Lord. Isn't that the point Jim was making this morning when we give to the Lord? That's what Jesus was like. That's why Paul used him as an illustration to say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You see, he had the mind not just of obedience, but humility. Servant. That's the mind that he had to serve. To humble himself. That's the kind of mind that we need when we conduct ourselves before one another and before especially our God. That's what the expressed image of God, the character of God looks like. Not just doing what is right, but with the heart of wanting to serve and do the Lord's will. To please His God. And so when we look then at the character, the image, if you will, the nature of God, we see that in Jesus Christ. When we look at every realm of His life, Look at all those descriptions. How he was a responsible person, even from childhood. We read of that in Luke chapter 2, verse 51 and 52 following. Even then, we see that in. We see him as a respectful individual. Yes, some of you might say, well, but remember when he turned over those money changers tables? That was pretty nasty. Well, he was zealous for God. Oh, and, and he would be upset and he'd get angry. But he sinned not. He was courageous. He stood up against the leaders of the day to stand for what was true and what was right. Not a facade of truth. He was compassionate on individuals. And you see that time and time and time again. Imagine how when we see a woman caught in the very act of adultery and forget the man, right? Our motivation already Let her have it. Let her be an example to every one of you here. We're going to stand for truth. We're going to stand for righteousness. Of course, they used her as a pawn. We know that. We can read that in Scripture. But here is Jesus very compassionately saying to her, Listen, go and sin no more. He was not excusing her sin, but he showed compassion on her. That's that's a nature that we need more of among one another. We see him showing great mercy, not only in that instance, but many others. Brethren, what I'm saying is that if we want to see God, then we need to really look at the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ. None of this means anything to us. Just by knowing, here's a great and awesome God, look at all the wonderful things he has done and then go on with our merry lives. We've got to see something about that. And so here's where the rubber meets the road. Having a vision of God means nothing unless we conform our lives then to the image of His Son. Isn't that what Ephesians chapter 2, when you read verses 8 through 10, talks about? How that we are saved by grace through faith? Why? Because we are His workmanship, verse 10 says. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's why we are created in Christ. To be like Him. To give glory to our Father in heaven. It's not just about coming to services. It's not just about doing um, good things for the sake of saying, I've done well. Good and faithful servant. It's about the very being of who we are. 
that we are absolutely transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we get to see this in our lives. And so that's what we see in Jesus Christ, and that's how we begin to live our lives. That's how you can take a man who goes from living a completely immoral life and thinking he's going to go to heaven because he's a good moral person and actually transform the mind, transform the heart, where I could look at you 20, what, I don't know, 22 years now? 22 years next week. Wow. <laughs> Just hit me. <laughs> Try 22 and a half years ago. I would look at you and think you're crazy for wasting your time every Sunday. For wanting to have a Bible study, I mean, there's more wonderful things in life. And I think of all the worldly things, of what those wonderful things in life would have been. That's a complete transformation. And I know of brothers and sisters in Christ who have been brought up in the Lord's church, in Christian households, who have yet to learn this very principle, to be transformed. You need to learn. And it's not just by having Bible studies on Sundays and Wednesdays and maybe on a Friday or whatever other day that you might have with other people. All that is, is supposed to work itself and germinate within our hearts so that we change, so that we conform our very lives into the image of His Son, who is the express image and the radiance of the glory of our Father in heaven. That's what a life is supposed to be like. So here's what God does then, if in fact we strive to conform by way of faith into the image of His Son. He chisels off all the sin. All those worldly characteristic traits that belong to us. And guess what? As sweet as you may appear to me, and like for instance, I'll share Grandma Cloverdale. She's not my grandma, by the way, but that's what we call her. I've known her ever since she was in her late 60s. And Grandma Cloverdale to this day is as sweet as any I've ever met in my life who's been service to the Lord. And she said, oh, Mitch, you don't know my past. I think no one could ever be as sweet as Grandma Cloverdale. <laughs> you might know other brothers or sisters in Christ who are just that way. And you wonder how in the world could they have ever been guilty of sin? But what you get to see then is a transformation. You get to see the result of someone who's giving their lives to the Lord and how beautiful they look. And I'm telling you, for me personally, the more beautiful your life is in the Lord, physically you're more attractive. You look more beautiful because there's a tenderness about your demeanor. There's a kindness about your soul. There's a goodness about you that when I look into your eyes and I see the walk that you live, then I look at someone who is actually handsome or beautiful, if you will. That's what God sees. He sees past the flesh. And He sees the true beauty of an individual. And I'm telling you right now, your true beauty actually radiates outwardly into that physical person, that physical beauty. That's what we see. That's because we've been disciplined by God, Romans, I mean Hebrews 12. That we have the Lord in life, Hebrews 8, verse 29. The one who cannot be separated by anything except for sin. So here then is the result. Just imagine we all live to the glory of God from the bottom of our hearts. A sincere and genuine life for the Lord. Think about what that means for others. You think that they can actually see through you if you live a facade? I think so. 
Children can see it. Children can know if you're genuine. And we might fake some of the people some of the time, and here the saying goes, right? But we cannot fake them all. Eventually, your sins find you out. Eventually, people get to see the insincerity if, if we have that in our lives. But I tell you what, when you sincerely give your life to the Lord, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, as verse 14 tells us, we are the salt of this world. Or as verse 16 says, we are the light of this world. People get to see through your good works that God created beforehand that you should walk in them. He, uh, Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2, they get to see God through you. Because what they see in you is an image of Jesus Christ, who is the express image of God. So if you want to have the vision of God, here's what you do in your life. You look at Jesus Christ. And you emulate your life after Him. You give your life to Him, to the glory of God. And God will lift you up. God will glorify you on the last day. We're still here, right? May 21st came and went. (laughs) We're still here. But he could be here. He could be here today. He could come this very hour. Give him the glory and live the way his son showed us to live. And then you'll actually see him face to face. No longer just a hope, but a reality. You can do that only if you're a child of God.